listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew, chapter 18. Last week, we started a new sermon, sermon series called Our Imperfect Family, Getting Real About the Health of Your Home. Uh, regardless of your current family profile, and we're all different, right? Um, how many of you have uh, preschool kids? Hold your hand up. Okay, that's some of you. They're the really tired people, okay? Really tired people, so give them some grace. Okay, how many of you have teenagers in your home? Yeah, they're really tired too. Um, maybe in a completely different way. Um, yeah. Uh, how many of you have adult children? Okay, good. Um, there are unique challenges related to... I saw some wives raise your hand on that one, and you're thinking about your husband, right? Um, you're raising the old boy, aren't you? I understand. Um, I would not be who I am if it weren't for my sweet, gracious long-suffering wife. Um, but uh, we're all in different places. Uh, some of you have blended families. Uh, some of you have uh, some things in your past, your upbringing, uh, that you bring into your relationships today. Uh, we're in all different places. I was telling the early service group this morning, I said, I, I don't know, I, I think I felt older when my oldest son turned 30 this past summer than I did when I turned 55. I mean, like, it just hit me, like, I had a 30-year-old kid, um, and I recognize some of you have adult grandchildren, okay? So I, I still have a long ways to go, uh, but uh, none of our families are exactly the same. Uh, I can safely assume, however, that regardless of what your family looks like, uh, the spiritual health even of your family, uh, that you have some challenges, because we all do. That's why the series, again, is entitled Our Imperfect Family, because uh, our families are made up of imperfect people, and I used the word hour there, because I'm right there with you. My family's not perfect. Uh, and so uh, because we all struggle with sin, because we all struggle with uh, the, the desires of the flesh, uh, we know that there will inevitably be uh, hurt feelings. Uh, we know that there will be hurtful words used, toxic attitudes, misunderstood motives, hurt feelings. Uh, and in this series, we are opening God's Word together to find wisdom, to find direction uh, to experience and to maintain spiritual health in our homes, regardless of what they may look like. I, I think about, um, much like a vehicle has to be maintained to stay in good working condition, I believe our relationships also have to be maintained. So even this morning, if you feel like in terms of your family life, you're in a pretty healthy spot, things seem to be going fairly well, uh, you need to practice some good preventative uh, maintenance as it relates to your relationships. You need to have a proactive approach. At other times, uh, you find a warning light. Or in my case, uh, my swag wagon. Some of you know about my swag wagon. Uh, there are three or four warning lights shining brightly on the display panel. And I just keep hoping and praying that they will just magically go away. But uh, they don't. And so there are some issues there that I need to to look at. And so maybe that's you in, in terms of your relationships, your family life. There are some warning lights on. And so when that's the case, you have to make a decision. 
You can, I guess, just wait and hope that the light goes off. Um, You can maybe determine to try to fix the issue yourself if you have some mechanical ability. Uh, Or in a lot of cases, you have to say, I've got to take the car in. I've got to take it to an expert. I've got to take it to a mechanic. And the truth is, some of us need to, uh, to start taking a more proactive approach to the health of our families. Uh, we need some preventative maintenance. Others of us uh, have a warning light shining right now. Uh, maybe it's been on for a while and you're just kind of ignoring it. Maybe, uh, maybe it's, it's manifested itself in that you are very short-tempered, you're very impatient. Um, and, and so there are a lot of different ways that you can see these warning lights in your relationships. Maybe you have three or four warning lights on right now, uh, like in my car. Uh, are you ignoring those warnings are you determined to try to just fix it yourself? You're just kind of kind of bow up buttercup kind of thing and try to do better? Or are you ready? Are you willing to turn to the one who created and designed family life and relationships? God Almighty himself, he's the expert and his word is the manual. The simple truth is this, someone or something is discipling our families. In fact, one of the resources that I would encourage, especially those of you who have kids at home, uh, younger teenagers alike, is a new podcast that uh, was recently released. I think there are two or three episodes in. It's called the Family Discipleship Podcast. If you look it up in the App Store or Google, whatever you Google people do, I don't even can't even keep track of all that. But uh, it's simply on the icon. I think it just says FDP, Family Discipleship Podcast, and it's put out by the training the church folks whom we uh, love and respect. And um, I, I would really encourage you, uh, if you've never been a podcast listener, this would be a great place to jump in. Very, very practical. Uh, some people who have written uh, extensively and have lived some of these things out. And so, uh, but the truth is someone is discipling our kids. I don't know about you, but I want it to be me. Because um, while I do have a 30-year-old, I also have, again, an 11-year-old. And so this is like Parenting 2.0 for us in many respects. Uh, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, and so, uh, especially in the cultural moment in which we live, uh, there are a lot of different things discipling our kids, especially. I mean, the culture would love to do that. Social media. Now, you talk about some body image issues and everything, man, just let them spend a ton of time on social media. Uh, and so, they will be, in one form or another, they will be discipled. Now, last week, our word was hope. That was kind of a foundational message. We said that there is no pain like family pain. I was amazed at the amount of feedback that I received from that message, not because the message itself was a good message or anything like that. I just think it struck a chord with a lot of people. There there is no pain quite like family pain. And we unpacked the root cause of that pain, and that's ultimately our sin. It's my pride. It's my stubbornness. It's my unwillingness to, to parent as God would have me to. And, and, and that, that list, of course, goes on and on. We also said, however, that there is no hope like the gospel. Uh, and so uh, today, this segues perfectly into today's word. The truth that we're going to look at in Scripture is the word forgiveness. Okay. That is at the very heart of the gospel, is the forgiveness that you and I can know and experience and the freedom that comes from that forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. The word forgiveness. Uh, Wednesday is the day that I typically devote the majority of my day uh, to sermon prep. That's just kind of the way my calendar works. Uh, Normally what I've done is I have compiled some stuff 
I've kind of pulled the ingredients together and set them out on the, on, on the counter, so to speak. Um, one preacher, one, uh, one of my homiletics professors, in fact, said, you know, you gather all the ingredients and then you make the chili, okay? And so you, you do a lot of pre-work and everything, but Wednesday is the day that I kind of put all the ingredients together. So that's the day that I, I say I do the heavy lifting of study and sermon preparation to, to be prepared to preach. Well, I, I receive a daily email called This Day in Church History or Today in Church History. And I thought it was interesting when I sat down to do that, I happened to open that email just a few minutes before. Uh, and so this past Wednesday was the 15th of September, and that day's entry read this way. It said, on this day in 1963, so September the 15th, 1963, it said, in a racially motivated attack, the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, was bombed, killing four girls. Then it said this, the sermon that day was entitled, The Love That Forgives, based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Well, we find a, a super radical statement. Uh, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 5, you know you see this pattern there where Jesus is saying, you have heard that it hath been said, but I say to you. And so we could talk about that for a very long time, the greatest sermon ever preached, arguably, uh, but it says there in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like this is, this is the common thinking. That, that, that makes sense to all of us, right? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What a radical approach to relationships. And especially as it relates to hurt and pain and suffering and all of those things. Uh, like many of you, over the last several uh, days and even weeks, I have been listening to some podcasts and watching bits and pieces of some documentaries related to the 20th anniversary of, of, of 9-11. And, and one of the things that really struck me was the way in which the church in that area, um, you know, Keller and some of those other people who were, they were directly impacted because they were there. I mean, right near ground zero and everything. How did the church respond? What, what, what were those, those people saying? One of the things that struck, I think, a lot of people was the fact that some of those gospel-centered preachers prayed not only for the people of New York, those impacted by the events of that day, but they prayed for our enemies. Prayed for our enemies. While most of us were experiencing the natural reaction of just absolute anger and frustration and all the things associated with this word that we hadn't really been hearing just a whole lot unless you were really plugged in jihad and all of that kind of stuff. Pray for our enemies? You mean the people who would hijack airplanes and fly them into our building? We're going to pray for them? It really comes from this text, this Matthew chapter 5 text. What I'm saying this morning is forgiveness is much easier to talk about than it is to practice. Now, depending upon the degree of offense, the degree of pain, the degree of loss, it can be especially difficult to practice. In fact, most people would agree that it is the most difficult thing to do in this world. To forgive someone when they have hurt you, when they have offended you, when they have injured you. Isn't it interesting how easy it is for us to see the need to forgive in someone else? And so we're inclined to say things like, bro, like you, you just got to forgive her and move on. 
Man, you, you just got to find a way to forgive. I mean, you know, because we, we can see the, kind of the toxic uh, results of unforgiveness in other people, but, but it's so hard to see it in ourselves when you look in the mirror. Harder to do. And yet it's a God-given mandate that brings incredible healing to relationships and families. Now, I want to be crystal clear at the outset of this morning's message. I am not suggesting that this is an easy thing. Okay, I'm not going to give you three simple steps this morning and you will leave here fully and completely experiencing the freedom that comes from forgiving someone who has hurt you, injured you, all those things. Because I, again, I recognize that many of you this morning, you, you have some, some scars. You have some stuff. You've lived with uh, abuse and you've lived with neglect and, and, and you've lived with a lot of the things that, that, that can create a great deal of pain in someone's life. So I want us to, 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 again, look at Jesus and what he had to say on the subject of forgiveness. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And I want you to notice in the few texts that I'm about to, to share with you the connection between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he stated, Judge not, and you will not be judged. A lot of people like to take just that little part of the verse and stop right there. But it goes on to say, Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, And forgive us our debts as, what? as we forgive our debtors. Those are some incredibly powerful statements. Where would we be if the Lord chose to forgive us in the same way and the same degree to which we forgive others? Most of us would be in a mess. Jesus didn't just talk about forgiveness. He modeled forgiveness, right? From the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 there, to his final words on the cross recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So this is an important subject. In many ways, it's a difficult subject, subject for us to look at. I, I want to define forgiveness this morning. It's not spelled out explicitly for us in Scripture, although I believe we can certainly see uh, this definition uh, founded in Scripture. A good working definition of forgiveness is this. It is a decision or a choice and the required action to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured, offended, or hurt me. Let me say that again. It's the choice, it's the decision, the required action to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured, offended, or hurt me. Now, I recognize that there are two sides to this forgiveness equation. Far more times than I would like to admit, I've had to go and seek the forgiveness of my family, my wife, my kids, for various reasons. And I think most of us would admit that that's the case. Uh, few people are willing to sit here and go, no, I'm pretty much perfect. I've never had to ask anyone to forgive me. <laughs> but let, let's just be honest. Most of the things that, um, that, that, that offend us or hurt us or whatever, in the grand scheme of things, they're pretty small. Kind of like this little rock I've got this morning, right? 
I mean, you know, maybe you say something and you didn't intend for it to come out the way it did. Uh, what you said wasn't necessarily false or, you know, anything like that, but maybe the tone with which you said it. And so you've had to come in, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it really isn't. And, and day-to-day life is made up of a lot of these little things, okay? I mean, where you've either got to ask someone to forgive you or you've got to extend forgiveness to them. Hey, it's okay, right? And I realize we live in a day, in this cultural moment, where it seems like everybody's offended about everything, right? I mean, you, you look, it doesn't take you very long to just look online and you'll see, man, people seem to be offended about everything under the planet, you know, under the stars. Okay, so a lot of things, you know, pretty much amount to something that big. Um, and so, but I also know that a lot of things are more like this, Right? And I know some of you guys will be able to identify with me. You can say something in a certain way, and to you, it's one of these. But to your wife, it's one of these. Lands in a completely different way. I mean, when you said the dress looks a little tight, you thought it was this? Bro, you had no idea. (laughs) Much more significant, right? And so the thing is, we've got to learn to extend forgiveness in the way that we've been forgiven. And so a lot of what we're going to look at today is the damage, the harm that comes when we are unwilling to forgive. So what happens is a lot of people, they carry these kind of things around for a very, very long time. And if you you continue to carry something like this around, what happens? I mean, literally, if I had to carry this all the time and never put it down, it would eventually wear calluses on my hands, and and it would just, it would not be good. And then then the other thing is, you start accumulating several of these. Or maybe you're one of those people who's been hurt so deeply, so so severely, that it, it hits you, not like one brick, it hit you like a ton of bricks. And so now, you're carrying around a whole bag full of that stuff. And then if you're not careful, what happens is is you cling to it in a way that you feel justified in your unforgiveness. Because if you continue to set the hurt up as some sort of a, like a little model or whatever, then you can go, see, I'm justified in feeling the way I do because of this. The problem is this becomes bitterness. And bitterness has been likened to the cancer of the soul. Someone said it this way, to be bitter towards someone and unforgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So the context here in Matthew chapter 18, where I've asked you to turn this morning, is conflict resolution. Jesus has been teaching here, if you have a problem, if you have conflict with someone, work it out. Okay, this is the text that we typically go to when we talk about church discipline and and relationship issues and those sorts of things. If you can, let it go. Okay, now I'm not suggesting that forgiveness is that simple. You know, I'm not going to sing the Frozen theme or Frozen song for you. Just let it go, let it go, you know. No, it's, it's, it's not quite that simple. But if you can't, if it's not something that you can, you can just overlook, just kind of move on. Um, you know, one of the most difficult things as a pastor many times is when people assume the worst of you. Uh, and, and most people who've done ministry, been in ministry, you'll know what I'm talking about. 
Um, it, it, it's just, it, it grips your heart when you hear someone say, yeah, Pastor Mike walked past me like five minutes before the morning service and he didn't even say hi to me. Like in that moment, I, trust me, I'm not trying to be rude or aloof or distant or anything like that. I've probably got my mind on something in that moment. Okay, but sometimes you'll hear things like that. Pastor, I saw you at Walmart the other day, but you didn't wave at me. I'm like, well, I guarantee I didn't see you. Okay, most of you anyway. Some of you, I'm duck and run. The, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> but if you can't, if you can't let it go, you can't just assume the best of someone and it becomes a serious enough issue, then you need to, to sit down together. And, and Scripture teaches us here that we're to try to work it out. I mean, you're going to try to work out this issue. And then if, if, if that doesn't seem to work, then you take somebody along with you and try to work it out. If that doesn't work, then get some elders from the church. And, and then you take the desire for re resolution and for reconciliation to a whole nother level. I realize that is a very simple paraphrased version of the section just before our text today because we're going to pick it up in verse 21. What is clear here in this section of Scripture is that God is glorified when His people, His children, are living in harmony. So Jesus did a lot of teaching on the subject. And so let's look at verses 21 and 22. Uh, first, we'll pick it up in verse number 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. And then in verses 23 through 35, through the end of the 18th chapter, Jesus uses this parable. And so just imagine Peter is listening to this teaching on reconciliation and so forth, and no doubt he begins to think to himself, what if somebody keeps offending me? Like, say, seven times. It's like, I bet I could probably forgive a person seven times. And so he comes to Jesus with a lot of confidence, and, and I'm sure he's thinking, man, I am about to get a gold star in forgiveness. Like when Jesus hears it, he's about to confer upon me a PhD in forgiveness, right? And so he says, seven times? And Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven so a lot of people want to quickly do the math. Oh, 490. So once you get to 491, all bets are off, right? No more. For, no, no. The, the whole point of what Jesus is saying there is don't keep track. Don't keep track. So it's essentially like he's saying to Peter, if you have a tally sheet hanging uh, on the refrigerator of your mind and you're at 387, you have a problem. You have a problem. So then to make his case, Jesus tells this parable. Let's look at verses 23 through 35 together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. There's that whole concept, that biblical concept of releasing someone and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, much like he had, had done, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. He refused and went and put him in prison, the debtor's prison, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. Listen carefully to this next sentence. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 10,000 talents. Let's put it in context. Uh, the, the total annual bill, tax bill, of all the provinces around Jerusalem at that time, historians tell us, was around 900 talents. So by comparison, this guy owes 10,000 talents. The gold that went into the temple was worth around 8,000 talents. So a debt of 10,000 talents was essentially more than a person could repay in a lifetime. I mean, even Dave Ramsey's snowball wouldn't work on this kind of debt, okay? And by comparison, he is owed a hundred denarii. Well, in Jesus' day, a denarius was roughly one day's wages. So the servant's debt was basically a hundred days' wages. A significant amount of money, to be sure, but nothing compared to what to the first servant had just been forgiven. So the guy who had just been forgiven like a trillion dollars is choking someone who owes him what amounts to a bonus check. Jesus' parable here in Matthew chapter 18 contains several principles that should bring us to the decision of forgiveness. I want us to consider, first of all, the rationalization of unforgiveness is foolish. The rationalization of unforgiveness is foolish. Peter was, was basically looking for a way out of forgiveness. Is seven times enough? Isn't there a limit to this thing of forgiveness? Can I forgive this much, but no more? Is there a point at which I don't have to forgive anymore? And we can, the enemy will provide us a lengthy list of rationalizations why we should not extend forgiveness to someone. I jotted down just a few that perhaps I've used. A time or two. Number one, the hurt, the wound, is just too big. And again, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound insensitive this morning. I'm not suggesting that some of you who are still, even to this day perhaps, dealing with some of the, the pain and the, the scarring and all of the different things associated with hurt in your past and all that stuff, that's just an easy thing. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're that person who's like, the, the hurt, the wound, it's just too big. Maybe, how about this one? Time will heal it. Just given enough time, it'll just kind of go away. It'll just go away. How about this one? This one's really common. I'll forgive when they say they're sorry. I'll forgive when they say they're sorry. I don't want to throw a wet blanket over this whole thing, but a lot of the time, you can just know this. 
they ain't coming to say sorry. That's just the harsh reality of life in this world. A lot of the time, they're not coming. And so you're going to still be hauling stuff like this around, <laughs> trying to make it through life, dealing with all this baggage because you refuse to let it go, waiting for someone to come say, I'm sorry to you. How about this one? I can't forgive if I can't forget. Or if I forgive, they'll just do it again. We can come up with all kinds of rationalizations, why we can't, why we shouldn't extend forgiveness. And here's the second truth we need to understand. The fallout of unforgiveness is huge. It's huge. I mean, you think about relational fallout and, again, the bitterness associated with unforgiveness. It literally is like a cancer in your soul. It's, it's so damaging. It, 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 it's so, it, it has like an uh, imprisoning effect on you. And then as you see here in the parable that Jesus gives, I mean, you see this irrational behavior. I mean, it's like, man, you were just forgiven 10,000 talents. And now you're choking a guy over 100 denarii. That's mind-blowing, right? Just doesn't make sense. A desire to see the other person suffer. I mean, we see he's choking this guy. And then lost respect. I mean, it says even his fellow servants were like, bro, this is like, what in the world? Totally lost respect there. And, and then here's this issue. The consequences of unforgiveness are lasting. Are lasting. Please hear this. Unforgiveness is torturous. Here's the weird thing. The enemy will convince us that if we refuse to forgive someone, we are somehow emotionally, mentally torturing them. Doesn't work that way. It's torturous to the person who refuses to forgive. It's torturous to you. It's the kind of stuff that will keep you up at night. It's the kind of stuff that will, that will, that will you, you'll lose your appetite. It, it's all of that stuff. It will injure the one who refuses to forgive. And, and life will become, listen carefully to this, a massive torture chamber where nearly every human encounter passes through the grid of your own unresolved pain and bitterness. So what I'm saying is, the more you hang on to this stuff, the more you will start to see life like this. You will be reluctant to enter into meaningful relationships with people because it's like, Oh, I've been hurt. Can't do that. Do you see the torture chamber that that builds around you? It is so damaging. It is so damaging. So let me say that again. It'll be the, 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 the torture chamber where nearly every human encounter passes through the grid of your own unresolved pain and bitterness. The consequences of unforgiveness are lasting. Now with that, let me be clear. I want us to talk for just a moment about what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Because some of you are here this morning and you're sitting there going, man, my, my wheels are spinning. And I'm like, if I, if I really follow through on this thing, okay, this is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not enabling. Forgiveness does not require that you help the person do the thing for which you have forgiven them. Okay, that is enabling. That's not what biblical forgiveness looks like. 
Forgiveness is not rescuing. In the sense that it does not mean rescuing someone from the consequences of bad behavior. Now, some of you see this on a small scale with your kids. Okay, your kids do something that's irresponsible. They forget their homework. They forget whatever. You know, you you may be able to forgive them, but at the same time, you are going to allow them to suffer the consequences of their behavior. Okay, so forgiveness is not rescuing. Okay, forgiveness is not risking future harm. Forgiveness does not mean putting yourself at risk for further personal injury. Okay? Forgiveness does not mean that you become a doormat and people just get to walk all over you. That's not what biblical forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness is not cheap grace and mere therapy. Those are some things that forgiveness is not. But here's what you need to understand. More than nine out of every ten New Testament passages that deal with forgiveness call for unmeasured, instant, unilateral forgiveness. With that in mind, maybe, maybe you've come across a verse like Luke chapter 17, verse number 3, where it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. You say, Pastor, what, what gives? Well, what I believe that that's talking about is how you communicate forgiveness to those you've chosen to forgive. Okay, because if, if, if you are in a position where you feel like, well, once, once I see that they've really repented, then I'll forgive them, who then is the judge right there? Pretty much you are. You've become like God in that moment. And when I'm satisfied with their level of repentance, then I'll forgive them. But until then, I'm withholding it. And I'm going to keep hauling this junk around. Because he or she just hasn't repented like I think they should. So forgiveness is not cheap grace. It's not mere therapy. Hmm. But there is, to be sure, a crisis of forgiveness. Especially when it moves beyond something like this. Okay, Most of the things that fall in this category, the smaller things, most of the time, unless we're just a really super bitter person, we can let this stuff go, right? I mean, come on. I hate it as much as anybody when somebody cuts me off in traffic and stuff, but I'm like... I, I cannot let that ruin my day. I mean, and it blows my mind. People will literally chase other people down on the highway, have an altercation, sometimes with weapons and all that. I'm just like, oh my word, like, wow. Most of the time we can let this stuff go. But when it becomes something more significant, there is a crisis of forgiveness. And so when I make the choice, when I make the decision, and I follow through on the necessary actions to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me, I am not, I am not looking for vengeance. I am not trying to get even. I am not wishing for bad things to happen to them. And I am not focused on their failure. So what does that look like practically? What it, here's, here's what the process looks like, essentially. I won't bring the offense up to the person except for their benefit. There was a, I can't even remember who said this, but it makes sense that, and you know, you've probably seen teaching, especially for married couples, on fighting fair and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we talk about, you know, people in, in those kinds of confrontations growing hy hysterical, but we also many times grow historical, right? So we, we keep dredging stuff up and throwing it back in the person's face. And any good marriage counselor will say that that's not fighting fair. Okay, you can't continue to bring stuff up from the past and throw it in their face, especially when you've said you've forgiven them for that. 
Okay, so I, I won't bring the offense up to the person except for their benefit. I won't bring the offense up to others, to other people. And hardest of all, I won't bring the offense up to myself. Because the truth is, a lot of people almost coddle this stuff. They almost coddle this stuff. That's what forgiveness looks like. And again, it's not easy. I'm not suggesting that, boom, you know, it's done, finished. No, it's a process that takes time. And there are people literally working through that and what that looks like to them. It can be very, very difficult. And so I want you to finally see this morning, and I want us to turn in our Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to finally see that the blessings of forgiveness are immeasurable. While the damage that is done through unforgiveness is monumental, the blessings of forgiveness are immeasurable. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then verse 32 says this, be kind to one another, in contrast. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and then notice what it says next. Forgiving one another, and here's the connecting point again, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. Let's very quickly, as we close, unpack some of the blessings of forgiveness. Damaging emotions are eliminated. There's some strong words here, some that, that we don't use as much today, but they're strong words. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. If those are the kind of things that characterize you and your human relationships, that's a pretty good indication that you got a lot of this. You got a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness pent up in your heart. And so what, what Paul is saying there is, Hey, when you learn to forgive as God has in Christ forgiven you, th these things will that they'll fade away. Damaging emotions are eliminated. Healing efforts are renewed. Notice what it says in verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. As a parent, have any of you ever just said to your kids, I mean, in, maybe even in those moments of frustration, it's just like, would you just be nice? Like, just be nice. Be kind. That's how we should be characterized as followers of Jesus Christ who have experienced the forgiveness that comes through the gospel. Now, we're going to have our moments, I understand. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be disappointed. We can be offended for sure. But what do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Healing efforts are renewed. Healing attitudes are restored. Verse 32 again says, tender-hearted. Tenderhearted is the willingness to feel the pain of another. And one of the reasons people who are, are caught up in a, in a prison of unforgiveness and bitterness is because they are so attached to their pain that they can't feel the pain of anyone else. I'm clinging to this. You know how badly I've been hurt. And most importantly, number four, Christ's example is elevated. Again, verse 32 says, as God in Christ forgave you. A friend of ours who uh, 
was in a church that we pastored in East Texas. Uh, a person who has uh, known, lived uh, the pain of hurt, broken relationships, um, posted this testimonial this past week. I thought it was appropriate. It says, my dad was an addict. He died from an overdose in 2018. I once got mad at him when his food stamp card was declined and I had to cover his groceries. It wasn't about the money. I gave him a hard time when he broke my glass measuring cup. It wasn't about the cup. He commented on a new haircut and I, I, I was enraged because he'd already seen it and I assumed he was too drunk to remember. It wasn't about my hair. I drove him from doctor to doctor, from rehab to rehab, but I, I was frequently short-tempered with him visibly put out by what he required of me. It wasn't about the time. He was homeless for many years. He used to stand on street corners with a sign and ask for whatever money or food people were willing to give him. I loved him, but I was frequently embarrassed by him. I was mad about my childhood and all this baggage that had bled into my adulthood, and I, and I found any way to take it out on him. But then it said this, He's gone now. I'm not mad at him anymore. I'm mad at how much I let my inability to forgive him affect our relationship. Now he's free and I am chained. Weighed down by all the grace that I couldn't bear to give a person who so desperately needed it. And then this admonition from someone who knows the pain. Give forgiveness. Because my regret over withholding it is stronger than all the anger I felt throughout the years. Two eternal truths, transformational truths that I want you to glean today and take with you. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Relationships of any depth. I know we all have acquaintances, we all have friends with whom we can talk about the weather and sports and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a, 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 a genuine relationship. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. It's like I said last week, every, every solid marriage is made up of two very unselfish people who are willing to say, when necessary, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And the other person to say, yes, I will forgive you. And I will let it go. I'll let it go. Completely. If we're going to make it to our golden wedding anniversaries or to our 63rd wedding anniversaries as we celebrate last week, it will take several major forgivenesses, maybe a whole backpack full of this, and a truckload of minor ones. Never are we more Christ-like than when we forgive. And then finally, my capacity to forgive is directly related to my comprehension of how much God loves me and how much I've been forgiven. If you found yourself appalled at the guy in Jesus' parable there in Matthew chapter 18, like, bro, <laughs> You were forgiven so much, and yet you turned around and 
Okay. Put yourself in that spot. Because the truth is, as it relates to the gospel, we're the ones who were forgiven a debt that we could never in this lifetime repay. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment this morning, I recognize for many of us this is an incredibly difficult subject. Something that, with which you've wrestled for months and perhaps years. I don't know where you might be right now as it relates to the need to forgive. It may be that the person you need to forgive is no longer with us. You still, for your freedom, need to forgive. Because you've been forgiven. And if you're here this morning and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't know what it is to truly be forgiven... Again, that's the heart of the gospel. And that's why we continue to see this connection to our forgiveness, the forgiveness we extend to others, and the forgiveness that's been extended to us. Is it easy? No. Is the gospel a matter of cheap grace? No. The Lord Jesus laid down his life for us. So that we might know we are fully forgiven. Forgiven. It may be that you need to, this week, even today, you need to go make a phone call. It may be that you need to set up a, a coffee date with a, a person and, and, and you need to talk. You need to share your heart and perhaps extend forgiveness. It may be that you're on the other side of the equation and, and you've known for some time that you need to seek their forgiveness. Father, we, we thank you today that your word, that the gospel is ultimately the answer to some of life's most complex, complex problems. I recognize that there are people in this room, there are people perhaps watching online who have experienced a great deal of hurt and pain and have suffered in ways that I can't even imagine I pray that you would help them to, first and most importantly, know and understand the forgiveness that they can have in Christ Jesus. And then work through the process of forgiving others in the way that they've been forgiven. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and the forgiveness we can have in Christ Jesus. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.